Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning, and I hope you got a bulletin as you were coming in. Uh, that way you can follow along and be a part of the service. Um, we do have a little, a little bit of change in the service today, so bear with us again as we're uh, making some changes. So just know, follow along. If you don't have a bulletin, we'll instruct you as we go. Uh, but we do use the hymn book and the bulletin, so please, if you don't have a bulletin, feel free at any time to get up and go get one so that you can follow along and actually be a part of the service uh, rather than us just performing for you. Uh, let me welcome you if you're here visiting with us. It's always good to have you, and uh, we'd like to recognize you for being here. We won't put you on the spot, but if you'll fill out one of those blue cards that's in the pew, that'll give us an opportunity to at least recognize that you were here, and if you give us the information, we'll touch base and make contact, and if there's a way that we can minister to your family, we would be glad to do that. Uh, you will see several announcements in the bulletin, and I'll let you read through a lot of those. I know our uh, interns this summer have been very busy with our youth. Uh, we know last night at our house, we had the, the final party of the day. If you missed all the parties yesterday, then uh, I know why you're not sleeping right now. But it, it was fun to travel from party to party yesterday. We had several birthdays yesterday, and so it was nice to fellowship. But we had the youth one at our house, and so... And we want to say uh, thanks to Zach and Sarah, who have spent the whole summer organizing activity for our youth, spending time with them. And so when you notice those in the bulletin, uh, their, their time will be coming to an end in August. And so it's going to come fast, uh, but we've surely enjoyed having them here uh, and being a part. Um, I do want to just uh, mention quickly next week's fellowship. I know several of you are already fretting because you're thinking, oh no, Jerry's kicking us outside in the heat, and what are we gonna do? So raise your hand if you're worried right now, and uh, I'll solve that problem. No, it is a picnic. If you remember, the session uh, voted that we would do a picnic or a fellowship on the fifth Sunday of the quarter, each quarter, so that we could fellowship together. And what we mean by picnic is simply this. We will have tables set up downstairs, so yes, you can eat downstairs. We have picnic tables outside on the patio. If your family wants to sit under the trees, enjoy the shade, we'll have stuff. It will be a picnic, but what we really mean is, uh, someone said earlier, it's a B-Y-O-F. That's what we mean by a picnic. Uh, and then clean up. That's what we really want to mention. It's bring your own food is what we're really doing as a picnic. So bring whatever it is that you and your family want to eat. Uh, whatever you decide to eat. And then when you leave, this is the good part, what? Take it with you. The reason we're doing a picnic this time is I know our food team would love to help. I know our fellowship team is always willing. Uh, but sometimes they don't get to do a lot of the fellowship with us either because they're busy setting up the potlucks, cleaning up afterward, setting everything, putting it back together. And so the picnic style just simply says, you come, bring whatever you need for your family, and if you want to eat inside around the tables, you can eat inside around the tables. If you want to go out on the picnic tables or whatever, it's just a time to fellowship. There'll be no Sunday school so that you have some opportunity to just hang out and fellowship. So whether you stay for 10 minutes to see some faces you don't usually get to see, or you stay the whole time and just fellowship and play games, the point is the session realized how important it is to fellowship, and sometimes you can't do that right after church, but for five or 10 minutes. And so if you look around, you'll probably see faces you don't know very well, and that's our prayer, is that it'll be an opportunity, uh, whether you wanna stay a long time or a short while, we're just gonna to meet and fellowship together. So we appreciate you coming, planning, and being a part of that uh, as you can. And so, like I said, I'll let you keep up with the announcements. If you have those, please give them to Christy. If they don't make the bulletin, if they're later than that, she'll still try to put them in the blast that goes out so that we'll have all that information for you as, as best we can. But join with us this morning. You'll see on your inside or the front part of your bulletin a meditation. Let me take just a moment in silence and give you a moment, and then I'll read this as we go forward. I'll lead us in prayer, and then I'll ask the ushers to immediately come this morning to begin our worship this morning as we give back to the Lord. But let's take a moment before I read the meditation. What shall I render unto you, Lord, for all your benefits toward me? What thanks can I render to you again for all the joy I have before you? Receive, O Lord, my spiritual sacrifice of praise to your name and be pleased in return 
to shed on me the grace of your most holy spirit this day. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will shed your grace upon us, that you'll again help us to remove the things of this world from our mind. Father, it's so easy for us to get preoccupied with what the week uh, beholds before us for the chores that need to be accomplished. And Lord, even today, Lord, it's amazing how Satan uses so many of the thoughts even today, the day we're to rest from the worldly things, yet they occupy our minds in the preparations and the things that we try to do today that belong to the rest of the week. Lord, help us set those aside. Let us to, uh, lead, lead us to just simply worship, to spend time with you, and to hear your word, to sing praises to your name, and to fellowship with one another. Lord, we also pray that as we give back to you this morning, just a portion of what it is you've blessed us with, that, Lord, you would use it to further your kingdom. Lord, we're able to give to so many ministries. There are so many opportunities for us to help in this world. Yet, Lord, let us not neglect helping your church. Let us use those funds to help send missionaries, to help feed the hungry, to help clothe those who are in need, and let us help put housing in place for those who have no place to go. Lord, all those things we ask that you would help work through us as we give just a portion back to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. If our ushers would please come this morning to help with our offering. And if you'll remain standing as I call us to worship, if you'll join me in the bold print together this morning, you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Amen. You may be seated. As we sing, we are a people of faith, and we have some morning as we share our faith through a confession. I wrote it in there. Someone made a good point last week that... We've been working through the commandments 
and uh, we were speaking on the second commandment, and they were like, man, you got to wonder what the second commandment is, and uh, so I wrote that in there for you, just in case, as we're sharing, but I'll answer from the question, if you'll join me in sharing together the answer from the Westminster Larger Catechism, and then we'll spend a moment in prayer together, but let me ask the question, what reason is added to the second commandment, emphasizing how important it is to obey it. The reason added is, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In addition to calling attention to the fact that God totally rules over us so that we belong to him, these words point to his fervent eagerness to be worshiped correctly and that he is angered and takes vengeance on all false worship, which he sees as spiritual prostitution. He views breaking this commandment as equivalent to hating him and threatens to punish those who do break it for several generations. He also equates observing this commandment with loving him and keeping all his commandments and promises mercy for many generations to those who do it. As we're learning through these commandments just how important it is that God has revealed himself to us through them, I will remind you as we go through them that the Ten Commandments were not just a list of do's and don'ts. They were actually a portrait of who God really is. As God reveals to us what he expects and what he demands, he reveals to us his character and gives us an opportunity to know him even better. So let's take a moment uh, to come to him. I want to pray for our people, and then if you would join me together in the Lord's Prayer as we continue forward. If you need it, it's inside the red hymnal. On the inside cover, you should have one there. But let me lead us to the throne of grace as we pray for our church. Heavenly Father, as we come into that space that you've provided for us, that was for so long keeping us alienated. Lord, in so many times today, it's not the veil. It's the things in our own hearts and our own minds that keep us alienated as well. Father, we let Satan remind us of our past actions, of our past thoughts, of some of our words. And Lord, in the remembrance of those, he hinders us from coming. He convinces us that we're not loved, that you don't care, that other people don't love us, and that they don't care. And yet, Lord, we realize that your son has done all that was ever asked and needed to provide that place for us that we could come boldly. Lord, that we could come into your house, your place, your presence, bringing to you those things that you tell us we have not because we ask not. And so, Lord, this morning we ask. We ask for a blessing upon our people. For those that are going through all the trials and the tribulations of rehab, for those that are going through all the treatments for cancers, illnesses, and sicknesses. For those who are still recovering from illnesses that have been holding on, keeping us down, taking our energy. Lord, for those of us making decisions to serve you and to faithfully follow you, whether it's on the mission field, in our career, or a plan with our families. Lord, help us to clearly see within your word what you have for us. Lord, as we pray for others that aren't here this morning, Lord, we pray for safety in their lives. We pray for those uh, that you'll protect them and watch over them and bring them back safely so that we can worship together. Lord, this morning we simply ask that your will be done in our lives. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We know that through no works of the law are we able to be justified in your sight. And we know that the place in which we stand has only been provided because of your son, Jesus Christ. His work on the cross and his life of obedience for us. And because of that, Lord, 
we're able to come as a congregation boldly to this throne and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Join with me as we pray together our confession of sin. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and confess before your holy majesty that we are poor sinners. We have been conceived and born in guilt and corruption. We are prone to do evil and unable of ourselves to do any good. We transgress without end your holy commandments. We deserve condemnation and death. But now, Lord, we repent and condemn ourselves and our evil ways. Father, have compassion upon us. O most gracious God of all mercies, remove our guilt. Touch us, Father, with your Holy Spirit and work true repentance in us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And we find assurance of pardon all through the scriptures. Each week, we can find so many places to turn, and I hope they'll minister to you in the places that you are. From Psalm 34, we find the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So, yes. It's amazing that when we come to him, he ministers just where we need it, and that's what so amazes us. Thank you again to our music team, as always, those who step up and help, as this summer we've had people in and out all summer, and if you like to sing and like to help lead, please let us know, for we would love to have you uh, be a part as we uh, minister to our church. I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, where we are. We've just started uh, a short while ago studying Mark, and he is taking us on a very quick, intimate journey with Jesus, an opportunity for us to be brought into his action and his activity more than his words. Now, I don't want you to leave this morning and say, well, Pastor Jerry said the words of Jesus didn't matter. That's not what I mean. But when it comes to the gospel writers, we realize that Mark does not spend time on all the periphery details. We've said this before. He's not Luke the physician. And any of you who know doctors, sometimes when they tell us things, they talk not only over our heads but around us in many ways. They're able to tell the whole scope. And when you ask a question of what's wrong, sometimes they'll say, well, simply put, and then you don't have, that just means what I'm about to tell you, you'll never understand. That's Luke. Luke's our physician. Matthew's writing to all the Jews. He wants everyone to know the history and the details of why the people are coming to the temple and why the stories are taking place and why is it important that we know the, the story and the setting. But Mark doesn't do that. Mark jumps right in doesn't fill in the details of some of those Greek texts that we have in Matthew and Luke that gives us more intimacy and just focuses on Jesus. He wants you to keep focus not on all the things that are going on around, but on what Jesus is doing. And this morning, it's no different. I don't know what's going on in your life. My life is usually on Sunday mornings, the best day of the week. Yeah, right. You're like kidding me. You're like, how'd you do that? As you all know, it's the day of the Lord, and if you've grown up in our family and you have children and you have in-laws visiting or you have friends coming along, Sunday's usually the day that's supposed to be the day of worship and rest. But we, we bring it upon ourselves sometimes, and the sermon's not the commandments of the Lord's day, but folks, sometimes we plan so many things to happen on a Lord's day because we've grown accustomed to being focused on Jesus between 10 and 12, and then our focus takes off from there and goes every place else on the Lord's day. And Mark's trying to say to you, don't do that. Don't just give him the quick glance and get what you need and then start looking at everything else that's going on. 
I don't care what you're having for lunch, let it go. Just let it go. I'm not sure what company's coming over this afternoon. Don't worry about the house. It'll still be there when you get there. And I'm not sure what's coming up early in the morning. You didn't have to schedule it at 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the morning, but you did. And I know you got things you have to get ready. Just forget about it. Because what, wouldn't it be nice if we could take the Lord's day and actually just focus on what it is Jesus is doing, not only in our lives, but the lives of everybody around us? That's what Mark's wanting us to do. As you're reading the gospel, he doesn't want you to focus on all the other details. Just stay focused on Jesus. Listen to what he says in chapter 2. We're coming down to where he's calling some of these people to follow him along with the other disciples. It begins in verse 13. But it's a story that needs as much healing as that is when he's healing the leper or the sick. Sometimes we don't think someone's sick if we don't see it on the outside. Do anybody know what it means to hit the wall? No, oh, I've been there at times. My wife and I have had to share at times. We all have opportunities to get together, but the worst feeling is when you don't see it coming on the outside and you hit the wall on the inside. And you realize that there were so many things that should have been changed that were never dealt with. And maybe this morning you're about to hit the wall and God wants to do the miracle that Mark wants you to see he can do if you'll just stay focused on Jesus and not get sidetracked with everything else. I'm not sure what your sickness is. Kekos, the word that is used in the Greek here for sickness, is a physical ailment, whatever it is. So listen, Mark takes us in verse 13 after Jesus has just done the miracle of healing the lame man. And he went out again in verse 13, reading from the New American Standard, updated, went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax office. Put that word booth if you want. It'd be a better understanding of what he's actually in. He's not in this big corporate office. He's in a little booth. But as he passed by, he looked at him in this booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with these sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? It's redundant. Do you catch that? Instead of just saying he's with them and them, it's always with the tax collectors and the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners. He's putting them together. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And so all of a sudden, we have an opportunity to see the importance of what Jesus is doing for sinners. Now, I want to clarify as we go forward that Jesus didn't come with a a, a dichotomy, if you wish, in his mindset, something taking place in two stages where he really only came for some people because some didn't need him. That's not what he means by the sick and the righteous. And so I don't want you to be thinking that as we go forward. I want you to see how is it that the message for sinners becomes so important and valuable in our lives? How is it that Jesus can do this message and it can be so effective when we try to do the message it's not? We're talking about applying it. So there's several things I want to give you. Look at this story with me. I'll give them to you quickly. I'll run down them, write them down. If you don't remember them, call me or watch the video. I think they'll have it again, and you can watch that. But listen carefully. Why and how is the message to sinners so effective? First of all, I want to begin with this. He went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him. That may not mean anything to you right now, but Mark is again putting Jesus in the focus. He didn't just say, by the way, Jesus was meeting somewhere and more people. He's there at the Galilee. He's there at the sea in the same place of Capernaum, because that's where they're going to go back to a house with most likely Peter's. 
And he's doing something that's very important. And I'm going to give you this word, and let me explain it. If the gospel to sinners is going to be effective, it needs to be incarnational. Just as when Jesus came to the world and God sent his son to us, he didn't send us the word. Could you imagine if Jesus would have showed up in word form? That's exactly what the Bible says, that in the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning. But we realize it wasn't until his incarnation, his birth, his existence among us, that we begin to realize that John tells us that the Word became what? Flesh. To understand what it is that God really has for us, and to be able to conceive it and put it together, it had to be incarnational. And part of me wants to say to you this morning, if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and it's just not working, ask yourself, are you making the word incarnational? Are you living it out? Are you the one doing it? See, there is a big step to become a follower of Christ, which we're going to learn, which is the same word, akalutheo, that gets exchanged with the word methetes, which is the word for disciples, because following Jesus and being disciples become interchangeable because there comes a point where you can't just pray for the lost. You eventually have to what? Reach out and do something about it. You can't just talk about the needs that people have. You have to be able to eventually what? Reach out and be a part of it. It's incarnational. People need to see what you're talking about. They need to understand this Holy Spirit. They need to understand who he is. They need to understand God. They need to understand the one that you're saying is such a, a blessing in your life. But folks, the hardest part is Mark looks to Jesus and immediately constantly puts us in the context that Jesus himself is the one out doing it. He's not just gathering people and saying, hey, look, would you do this for me? And hey, these people are hurting. Maybe there's some things we could do for there. He's making the word not only himself flesh, but he's making the gospel possible through himself. And I want to ask you quickly this morning, how many of you have hands-on ministry with sinners? Or are you just praying for them? You're just talking about what the church could do for them. You've been in discussions about what our church could do to reach more of them. But when does the word become incarnational through you? That people actually see what it is that you're doing. That's when the message to sinners becomes valuable. They have to be able to see it applied. Jesus does that. It's not just becoming incarnational, lived out, if I can use that term. It's important because listen to the things that happen as Jesus lives it out. These are important, so mark these with me. As he went out there, he himself, as he's doing all this, he's demonstrating all these things, here's what he says. The people were coming to him, and I like the phrase that's in the Greek, and he was teaching them. In other words, it wasn't a question about amazing things. The simple answer was simply this. When people came to him, what did Jesus do? He taught them. There was no question. It was the word that we get for didaskalos. It's the word that we get for instructions. It's a powerful word because it's not the same word for caruso, we said, or caruso for preaching. It's this word of now teaching and instruction and, and being able to help people, being able to demonstrate things for that. So if you don't like the word instructional, write the word demonstrational. Because the truth of it is, what Jesus is doing is he's actually instructing the people as a teacher. He's actually demonstrating how things should take place. If I asked you to raise your hand real quick, how many of you have ever been to schooling? None of you went to school at all growing up? Eh, you're thinking college, weren't you? Even homeschool can be horrific, trust me. But the whole point of it, some of you are probably looking back. It might make more sense to those of you who went on to a, a type of schooling to know what it means when we say, how many of you had your education through brick and mortar? Does anybody know what that means? The hard knocks. Folks, we're living in a world today that doesn't understand what it means to be instructional. When we were doing our Christian school in Indiana and we had to put up classes for small groups and we wanted to reach our community, the hardest thing was coming up with math and science teachers. Especially in science, because you know how hard it is even in homeschool 
to do some of your chemistry experiments at the kitchen table without ruining the kitchen table and to do some of the biological experiments without your neighbors being mad for some of their pets disappearing and things happening. Oh, maybe that was just us. Maybe that, I'm not sure. Instructional meant that you were going to a room where someone would not just speak to you about things, but they would demonstrate how it worked. So if you were like me and you struggled in math, I used to always love it for years because I had wonderful teachers that when I would go to math class, you could simply raise your hand and say, could you show me how to do that one? And they would put it up on the board and they would instruct you, demonstrate how to do it. And then you'd get to the next problem. And if you were smart, you caught on and you said, what? Could you show me how to do that one? And hopefully you'd get enough done in the hour of class that there would only be a few left. And they weren't hard because you were shown how to do it. I say this gently, but today many of our schools, even on national news, my wife and I were sharing together, we've shared with some, because our daughter will begin attending up at Anne Arundel Community for some classes. My son has been there. And one of the things that concerned us was the news came on and said they were changing some formats at the college that rather than being instructional, they wanted the classes to be facilitated by the students and led by their experiences. Yeah, some of you are looking at me and I'm like the same way, like, what? So we're gonna gather students from around the community, place them in a classroom and say, by the way, we're going to speak about some important issues today, and we'd kind of like you to just share about how you feel on those. See, where's the instruction? Where's the one that we would say, hey, I didn't pay for that. I, I put my money into something that was actually somebody standing up and instructing, demonstrating, showing us how it's supposed to be done, demonstrating the right way from the wrong way. Folks, it sounds like the biblical word for apprenticeship. Because how many of us talk about reaching the sinners, talk about ministering to the sinners, talk about how they need it and what can be done and what they need to change their lives, and none of us are demonstrating. None of us are being instructional. None of us are sitting down. Oh, I'm not the person to tell you you should follow me. But my wife will tell you I've made a habit of 30 years of ministry, sometimes sitting down at people's houses going over finances, Sometimes sitting down going over decisions for wills. Sometimes talking about plans for the backyard, how to remodel certain places. Things that I would have never dreamed I would have to talk about. But it gave me opportunity to what? To instruct in the things that matter most. Let me ask you quickly this morning. They came to Jesus and he was instructional. He was showing them how to do it. He was showing them how ministry works. I wonder how much more effective the church today would be if we didn't have YouTube. Because today, you can Google. We don't need classes on auto mechanics because you can push one button and simply say, show me how to do this. Show me how to do this. Show me how to do that. And the sad part of the story, they may show you how to do something, but how do you trust the one showing you? Sometimes I think we're more excited about YouTube church than actual instruction on how to do things. How many of you don't raise your hand? Because I'm pointing to your own pastor's failures. Have taken a class on how to share your faith since I've been here. How many of you have taken a class on how to counsel those that are hurting? I'm not pointing the finger at you. 
I'm pointing the finger at who? We all find the times in our life when we realize sometimes you can preach about a lot of things and there's no instruction. And how do you expect people to do things if they haven't been what? Shown how. Oh, your elders have a steep responsibility before them. And your deacons, the servants of the church, should be able to show you what? How? Jesus wasn't just incarnational. He was instructional beyond the emotions, beyond what churches are all about. Do we go to church today to be instructed how to reach the lost or how to satisfy our own desires? If you look at the way churches are structured today, it's more about meeting the people who are coming, which I'm for, than anything at all to do on how to actually reach those that need to come. And you see, evangelism doesn't take place here in the pews. That's my own personal decision. It's a philosophy of ministry I shared with the committee before I ever came. It's called discipleship-based ministry. The church is designed to minister to those of us who are here. This is the place God calls us. This is a worship that we gather together to do. The pews weren't the place designed to go out and bring all the lost in and to do what we have to to make them happy so they'll stay. But the world is the place that we were all called to go into to reach those lost people and to bring them to a place they would feel comfortable to come. So my last question for now I know you hadn't taken the class while I'm here. I know you haven't had the instructions since I've been here. My next question is, and so how many lost sinners have you reached? It wasn't just incarnational or instructional, it was transitional, it was changing. Listen to what he said. He, he immediately jumps. Listen to what Mark does. He goes by, he sees Levi, the son, tells him to follow him, and the next thing you know, they're reclining at a table. Folks, that didn't happen in the little booth where they collect taxes. Mark glances right over the story, right over the activity, and shows us the importance of what Jesus really did. He called Matthew, or Levi, the son of Alphaeus, to follow him. Akalutheo, that's the word, to follow. It's usually an accompaniment of something that means to accompany somebody, to go with them. You can't just follow Jesus on Facebook. Okay, you've got to be around him. It's got to be accompanying him. You've got to be able to see the work that he's doing. And then all of a sudden we realize it's the same word that many times is used by Jesus, as we learn from him, to bring people to salvation throughout the Gospels. When Jesus mentions about following, it leads to salvation. How many of you have said to your grandchildren, follow me, with the intent of leading them to Christ? You may have said, follow me to the shed, good or bad, Follow me to the lake. Follow me while we go hunting. Follow me while we go fishing. Follow me while we build these things. Follow me while we fix the cars. Follow. You've got all the stuff down perfectly to have them follow you. But you've yet to use akalatheo, the sincere intent that says, when I'm asking you to follow me, I'm asking you to follow me to Christ. I'm going to be incarnational, and I'm going to be instructional, and my intent is to be transitional, to change your life. When he asked him to follow him, it was transitional. Maybe Jesus is asking you this morning, follow me. Follow me. And what you don't realize is when Jesus uses that word, it's through the intent of salvation. It's with the intent of bringing you into his kingdom. It's with the intent of bringing change to your life, whatever the conditions. And Mark immediately jumps and he says, as I reiterate them, 
To have a gospel message that's effective, it must be incarnational. It must be real. It must be lived out. You must realize the instructional part of it. There's got to be content and demonstration in your life on how to do it. It's got to be transitional. Why would anybody want to follow you if their life's not going to change? What do you have that's going to change them? And then here's the part. He says this. He said to them, follow me. And it happened that he was reclining at the table with them. Folks, we have just jumped to the gospel of John when John reminds us what the word for reclining actually means. Anakimoi is the word that is used there, which is the signifying term that is used by Jesus to the dear ones that he actually uses on his beloved disciple when they reclined at the table. Do you remember that story? I couldn't do it here on stage. You probably couldn't see me, and I don't want to act it out into a dramatic scene. But to recline at the table was like having a small table in the living room where you would put your face down front, and you would put your hand on your head, and you could relax while you were eating the meal. And if you got tired, you could just lean back onto the chest of the person beside you. So multiple people could lay around the table and relax. And you were close enough that if you were tired, you could just lay back your head onto the chest of the person behind you, which is what John tells us the beloved disciple did with Jesus. And we are told that they're together. Why? I believe Mark wants to jump right to the story that when Jesus met these sinners, it wasn't just transitional for Matthew. It became relational with Jesus for everyone involved. Jesus was reclining with them at a feast. That Mark uses the same words that reference the great feast at the end of time when they sit around the banquet table and eat with Jesus. I think what Mark's trying to say to us is these sinners have been changed and are in a personal relationship now with Jesus Christ. We're not even told in the Greek, for those of you who like to study, whose house it was. You can't tell by the Greek whether it was of his home, of Peter's home, of the Capernaum home. We are just simply saying it was in the home of him. And the hymn doesn't reference which one. Scholars are constantly trying to debate, well, whose house did they go to? Was it Jesus' house there in Capernaum? Did he really have a home? Was it Peter's house? Did Peter really bring him back home? Was it in Folks, do you see, we get so caught up in the details, Mark didn't even bring it up. Mark just simply says the point is he reached out to one sinner, and every sinner that was like him showed up at the table of Jesus, and Jesus is reclining with them. The Pharisees had this horrible notion behind themselves. Last time Jesus read their thoughts, this time they were speaking it out to others. Why in the world would he eat with these hamartones, these sinners, intelions, these tax collectors? Why would he do such a thing? Why would he reach down to a sinner who steals from us? I can only remember the words of Romans 5.8. That God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were yet what? Sinners. He died for us. He came to earth to recline with us. To be relational so that our lives could be transitional, that we could be changed, that we would have an opportunity to see how the gospel works. And I ask you this morning, has the gospel changed you to be relational with Jesus? Would you recline on him? More importantly, would he recline on you? Would he be willing to lean back and rest his weary head on you? Are you that close?
or are you still just talking about a relationship with Jesus? Still talking about how to reach the sinners. Still talking about what everybody else could do to make things different. Or has the gospel for sinners reached you? Why? Because look what he says finally. Not only were they reclining with him, but the, the scribes simply cry out to him, how can you do this? It is not, Jesus said, the healthy that need a physician, but the kakos, the sick. And then he gives us the whole story. Mark has just transitioned everything back into a word, and here's the whole point Jesus wants you to know. I didn't come for the righteous, but the what? The unrighteous. Now, here's the whole point of the story. Do any of you know anybody who was righteous? Was there a plan that Jesus had that I'm only coming for those who need me? I'm not really here for those who don't. That there really was a group of people who could be righteous on their own and Jesus doesn't need to worry about them. He's only here to worry about those who can't do it on their own. That there really was a group of people who by the works of the law could be made right with God and yet he was only here to get those who couldn't do it by the law and just needed faith. Is that what he's saying? Or is he actually trying to say, a gospel message will be futile if it's not spiritual. The relational takes place when we take everything we do and bring out the spiritual. It does matter not only how you give your money, but how you make it. It does matter not only when you share the gospel, but how you share the gospel. You see, all of a sudden we realize that the Bible has several passages. Let me give you one. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 3. You already know Romans 5. A, he demonstrates his love. But Romans chapter 3 gives us this explanation of why Jesus came for sinners. Jesus looks to them and says, I did not come for the righteous, but the unrighteous. And I would bet some of those scribes wanted to stand back and kind of look at him and like, well, maybe this guy's not so bad. Because us righteous is not who he's after. We have the law. We've been obedient to the law. And we know how to live by the law. In Romans Chapter 3, verse 20 says, By the works of the law, no one of mankind will be justified in his sight. For through the law only comes the knowledge of sin. I think what Jesus was really doing was trying to say to the scribes, Do you not realize your unrighteousness? Do you not realize that I came for you as much as I came for these tax collectors? That I would love to recline with you as much as I recline with these. For the law will not bring the spiritual answer you need. And so in Galatians, we are told, in chapter 2, it reads this way, knowing that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. A message to the sinners. It's a message that is incarnational. It must be lived out. It's a message that's instructional. It must be demonstrated. 
Show people what you know. It's not so much what you say, but what you do. It must be transitional. It's a change of how you live your life and what God wants for your life. It's relational. It's always about how much time you spend with him, not for him. And finally, it's spiritual. It always comes down to your need to be made right with God and the dikaios, the righteous, are only declared right by faith in Jesus Christ. And so any message to a sinner must at least ask, would you like to be right with Jesus Christ? And so I conclude, are there any of you that would like to be right with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mark's expediency, for his willingness to put before us what it really means to be a follower, what it really means to be a disciple, a life that has been changed, one that has brought all the sinners just like us to Jesus where they too find the same love we found. Yes, Lord, most importantly, it's spiritual change. From being lost and outcast and at enmity with God, we are now his chosen children, reached and saved by the gospel of grace, where we are saved by this faith in him. Help us, Lord. Help us become more instructional in our lives, just like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You'd receive the benediction, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all in God's children's head. Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.